Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 25. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never be the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have been conscious, have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the conviction of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. If you've been with us, you know that we've been working our way through the big picture, the overview of Scripture. We started that way back in January at the beginning of the year, and we've done it in parts, but we worked our way all the way through. And as, as you see from our reading this morning, the Scripture we're going to be looking at is in Hebrews. And so we've made our way through a good portion of Scripture. And as we've done that, we've by no means been uh, complete in catching everything, but we've been trying to get the big picture of what God is doing throughout Scripture and how he moves and how he does it. And how that works. And so the last couple of months we had gotten to the Gospels in which we see Jesus come and we see the very uh, 
image of God coming down into the story and Jesus lives the perfect life that we could never live and he dies to sacrifice for us and then he's resurrected and in doing so it shows that God's sacrifice was accepted and and so we spent times in the gospels just walking through Jesus's life and looking at those aspects and then the last couple weeks if you've been here we've been in the book of Acts and as we've been in Acts what we can say really is as, as Christ is now resurrected and uh, the, the word starts to spread we see in the power of the Holy Spirit God's very spirit living inside his people it goes out and they begin to proclaim the word of the lord and so what we saw in acts is they go from 120 people to thousands upon thousands to spreading throughout the world in a very short time and and what we saw is is through god's power in the proclamation of his word and a lot of times when we talk about big overview of scripture we get to the gospels which is the purchase of our salvation in jesus then we get to acts and it's really the proclamation of what jesus has done as it spreads but then this morning, as we move the next few weeks, we're really going to be spending some time and and really the section of scripture that starts in Romans and, and goes through Jude. And, and what we would say in those books and those letters that go out that go to the churches, we would we'd call that section the explanation, because what happens is. God has been moving all through history and it's been pointing to Jesus is going to come and he's going to do this work. And then the Messiah finally comes and he does the work and then the word goes out and it spreads and churches are established and people are putting their faith in Christ. And then life happens. Then things start to come up around them and then questions come. And how do we relate back to the way God related to us in the old covenant, in the Old Testament, now that Jesus has come? And, and how do we live together? And, and what do we do when people are professing faith, but they're not walking after the Lord? And how do we deal with all these things? And so these letters start to go out, many of them written by Paul, and they go out and they start to explain. And so really, that's where you could say we are in the overview. We're to the to the explanation to explain some of how these things go together. And so this morning as we're in Hebrews, Hebrews is a book that was written to the early church and it was written to explain some things. Uh, really, Hebrews is written in the form really of a sermon letter. It's a letter, but it's also kind of written just and what it does. The big idea of what we could say Hebrews is, is this letter is written to say Jesus is better than everything. He's better than all the Old Testament things that pointed forward to him. Jesus is better than Moses and the law. He's the better law. He's the better sacrifice. He's the better high priest. He's the better everything. So all that, all in Hebrews, it's pointing through. And in the letters written to address the early church because they're really struggling with some of these things. In the early church, you saw this, this picture of what do we do now with Old Testament sacrifices? This is the way we related to God before. Do we keep on doing that? And there was an attack on the church that said, yes, you have to keep doing that. And you have to keep doing these things. And so there were some in the early church that were being persecuted and they were frustrated and hard times were coming. And they were thinking, well, maybe we should just go back to the old way of doing things. We're frustrated. We're not really sure what to do. And so Hebrews is written to address that in a lot of ways. And so this morning, as, we've, as you just heard, as Larry read for us in Hebrews 10, there's a lot of uh, address of sacrifices and offerings and high priests and all those things and looking back to the Old Testament. And so what we're going to look at this morning is, is how does that move into the New Testament, the explanation of how those go together. And so what we're looking at is what we're thinking about this morning is those sacrifices and blood sacrifices and offerings and all those things. And so as we think about this morning and we say this is the explanation and this connects those dots, I realize that as we get to that, you may say, I don't really have those questions. I'm not too concerned about blood sacrifices and animals and those things. That's not part of my life. I'm not really concerned about should I be doing those things 
or should I not? In a lot of ways, when we look at Hebrews, we can look at it from the first century Christians who that was very relevant to them. Should we be doing this? How does this work? Because they were used to that. That was their normal worship. That was how they had seen it in their lifetime. And so for them, it's very relevant. You could say us today are on the other side of that going, why would you even consider that? Why would we even think about going back to something like that? Because for us, that's not part of our normal worship. But I want you just to, before you mentally check out and go, great, we're talking about sacrifices and we're talking about blood and all these things that go with it. I just want to put this out and say it this way. This is very relevant to us. And although we don't fall into actual blood sacrifices and those kind of things, and we're not struggling, should we go back to those? This is very relevant to where we are. And so I just ask that you you give me a few minutes to get you to show you why it's relevant to us, but also to consider what it was like for those first century Christians that were so steeped in this. And it was very hard for them to to make uh, sense of how these go together and how they fit together. And so this morning, as we often do, we're going to ask three questions and then we're going to go to the text and let God's word give us the answers. But before we do, let's pray and then we will look at Hebrews 10 together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you as even the book of Hebrews says it's living and active and sharper than any two edged sword and that it that it reveals our hearts and it reveals who you are and you you show us about yourself. So we just ask that you would do that this morning, that your spirit would come and move and, and illuminate our minds to be able to understand your word and who you are and what you've done. We just confess that without that. Without your spirit moving, we are hopelessly lost and this will all be a waste of time. And so we just ask that your spirit would open our hearts and our minds to see you more clearly and to follow you the way that you've called us. We pray all these things in Jesus name. Amen. So as we think about this, as, as I've mentioned the last few weeks, this is starting to become the, the norm. But just if, if you haven't been here or you're visiting, we have a in our family worship guide that's towards the back. We actually have the three points of the sermon. That's just to help. If that helps you, your visual and you need the, those to, to hold it together. I just point that out that that's there. And also the, the Bibles that are in the pew, if you need a Bible or uh, you didn't bring one or you don't have one, those are a free gift to you. We'd love for you to take one if you need one. And so. Uh, So you can follow along. We're in Hebrews chapter 10. And so as we think about it, here's the questions I want us just to think about over our time as we as we look. First of all, the first question, what's the deal with all the blood in the Old Testament? Why sacrifices? What, What was even going on with that? Secondly, how were the first century Christians here as they look back and how it connects to who? How are they missing it or how were they tempted to miss it? And by the way, we're also going to look at how we miss it. Because there's a lot of correlations there. And then lastly, how do we see it rightly? How do we get this the way it's supposed to be? And so as we consider what's the deal with all the blood and the animal sacrifices, just a real quick overview as we go way back. We did this probably in February. We hit in Exodus as God pulls his people out and he saves a people for his own possession. And he, he sets them up and he starts to teach them how to relate to him. And he, and he gives them his law, but then he gives them some sacrifices and how they can relate to him and all these festivals and all these things that they're to do at certain times and certain animals to sacrifice and all that goes with it. And what we see is God is showing his people how a holy God can be near a sinful people. What he's doing is he's teaching uh, Israel, he's teaching his people of who he is and who we are. And I want you to think about that for just a second, the the animal sacrifices and all the things they do. And God's showing them through all these rituals and all these things about what it means to approach a perfect and holy God. And so as we think about that, the question can still come. But what's the deal with killing animals? 
Why do we need the blood and all the stuff that goes with it? That seems very odd to our modern sensibilities. But what you got is, is sacrifices in the Old Testament. They would come and they would bring and make a sacrifice for their sins or for their guilt and for all different sorts of things. But they would come and they would, they would lay their hands on the animal. And, and what they were doing, in a sense, was confessing that a payment needs to be made. Something is wrong. There's a chasm between me and God. I've made mistakes and I've done things. And I want you just to think about what that would do, what that would impress upon you and your relationship with God as you as you made sacrifices and you thought about uh, if, if you were to go out and kill a chicken or a goat, whenever you whenever you sinned and you're spilling blood over and over and over and how that begins to impress upon you. Your place before a holy God, that's what God was doing. He was showing them that you're sinful. And there's a separation here and there's a problem. And so blood in the Old Testament for those ancient people that that saw that and this was the norm and they were used to it. Blood uh, just very clearly pointed to life. That when blood was spilt, a life was given. And so what they would do is they'd lay their hands on the animal and they'd say, I deserve for my life to be taken for my sin. But this is taking my place. And then the blood was spilt and they'd go through all these things and and all these rituals and they would do that. Now, that's a very, very quick Overview. We're, we're leaving a lot out, but just big picture of what's going on. That's that's what's happening. And so God's teaching his people who he is and who they are. You're sinful and I am perfect. And there's a chasm there. There's a problem. And so he's showing that over and over. But as we've been saying over and over each week, as sinful people at the heart of our sinfulness is self-centeredness. We like to make things all about us. We've been calling our series as we walk through the Bible, the story, God's story and the way God is relating and what he is doing. But so often we want to make the story about us. We, we quickly turn to what can I do and what can I make it about me? And so what happens with those sacrifices is that God people start to to make it about them. Right. They start to make it about ways that we can now earn our way back to God. Look at what we're doing Instead of it teaching them that this is who God is and this is who they are and this is the way God's loving them and the way God's lovingly showing them. And God intended for it to push them to faith. I'm so lost and look at this chasm and to push them to put their faith in God. But they decided, well, look what I can do to make myself more worthy in God's place and in, in front of a holy God. And so what happens is it becomes this way sinful people make it a way of salvation. A way to earn themselves back before God. That's what they begin to do. That's why when Jesus comes and he begins to walk and he begins to teach and he begins to preach and he starts saying things like, I don't desire sacrifice, but mercy. Right. What Jesus is saying is, I don't desire a whole bunch of religious things for you to earn your worth before me. I desire your heart to love me and put your faith in me. And he would come and he would say things like that and it would upset people a lot. Because wait a second, that just stepped all over my toes because I'm thinking I'm pretty good because I'm doing these things. And he says, no, that's not how it works. And so that's kind of what's behind what's going on in Hebrews. You have a group of newly uh, saved Christians that are putting their faith in Christ. And now they have this pull to come back and do some things, do some sacrifices, do some things to come back, to make it something you earn. And it was a great pull. That was a thing that they thought, wow, yeah, maybe that's what we should be doing. And so with that in mind, let's just read Hebrews 10, 1 to 4. I want you just to think about this. So, so the author says, for since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come 
instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers have once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And so the author of Hebrews says this going back to this thing and trying to get yourself back into this makes no sense because it can never save you. That was never the point. And so he's bringing them and he's showing them and he's saying, don't make that mistake of going back to trying to earn your worth before God. And so when we read that, you know, we can still read that. Maybe you're sitting here today and you say, "Okay, yeah, so don't go back. Verse four to the blood of bulls and goats. No problem. Not planning on doing that. Right. I don't know if anybody in here is planning on leaving today and I'm going to go make some sacrifices for my sins and spill the blood of bulls and goats. We just we don't think that way. That's not where we are. But I want you to think about what he's really saying and what's the heart behind it, because this is very relevant for us. Although we don't go to sacrifices like that. But look at what he says in verse two, because he says, otherwise, uh, having once been cleansed, they would no longer have any consciousness of sin. And what's what's the heart behind this is this consciousness of sin. That I'm conscious of what my sin is. Consciousness simply means, when we think about what our conscience is, is our conscience is when we, when we begin to think about being fit for the present of an, presence of another. Think about that. I've used this example before, but what if you came in this morning and we had all your thoughts from the last week up on the screen for everybody to read? Every thought that went through your mind the last week, everyone could see it. How would you feel about that? Would you be fit for the presence of everybody to stand up and say, yeah, that's every one of my thoughts and I'm good with that. My guess is you would want to hide under a rock. You'd probably get up and leave. You probably wouldn't sit and be. And it's because we know our conscience bears witness. We know that we're not fit for the presence of another. We know we've made mistakes and we know we've made problems. And so what happens is we often try to deal with that in different ways. I think that was one of the things pressing on the first Christians I want to deal with my sin and my different things. If I go back and I make sacrifices and I do these rituals, it's something tangible I can look at and say, look what I did. I can begin to make atonement for my sins. Atonement, fancy Bible word, simply means at one minute. That's the way we try to put it together. At one minute with God, we're trying to make ourselves right with God. And so although we don't fall into animal sacrifices, we do all sorts of things to try to assuage our conscience. In fact, you might be here this morning for that reason. Sometimes that's why we come to church. Didn't have a great week. I lost my temper several times. I did whatever. I fell into something. So I better go to church this week. When we do that, we're doing the same thing that the author of Hebrews is warning the first Christians not to do. We start to make try to make atonement by what we do. Maybe you do it through I'm going to volunteer I'm going to give of my time in a certain place. And by giving back, it'll make me feel better about the things that I've messed up or forget on a spiritual level, maybe just a practical level, right? You say something really stupid to your wife. And so you go and you try to buy some flowers or take her out to a dinner. I'm going to make up for the stupid thing. I did. So we do it all the time in all different ways. And so I want you just to think about that this morning. That that's where we start to miss this. See, God gave sacrifices to show us that we have a need to show us who he is and the way that we relate to him, 
that there is a chasm, that there's this great thing between us, our sin. But what we do as sinful people is we twist it into, okay, well, now here's some things I can do to earn my worth before God. And that leads us to our second point this morning of how do we get it wrong and how are they getting it wrong? How often do we get it wrong? Look at verse four again, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It is impossible for a Bible study to take away your sins. It's impossible for perfect church attendance to take away your sins. Plug in whatever you want there, whatever you're trying to do to assuage your guilt, because what the author of Hebrews is saying is that can't do it. And then look further what he says. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me in burnt offerings and sin offerings. You have no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. It is written to me of me in the scroll scroll of your book. And when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first, the old covenant, in order to establish the second. And by that, we will be sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And so what the author of Hebrews says so clearly right there in verse four is no matter what you do, all the stuff that we try to make in our lives, the sacrifices we try to bring before God, that will never do away with your sins. It cannot do it. That was never the plan. God gave those things to point to the fact that you cannot do it. To point to the fact that a sacrifice that is coming that will be able to do it. And you have to put your faith in that. And so we twist it and we miss it. And that's how we begin to miss it. It says the same thing if you look at verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Never, no matter how many, they can't do it. And so what often happens, and and I want you to think about what this is saying, because this goes right to the heart of the objection that all religions are basically the same thing. But you hear that a lot today to say Jesus is the only way is offensive. And all all religions are basically doing the same thing. We're just trying to live the best we can. We're just trying to do whatever. And that's that's where uh, a lot of times we fall. But this what Hebrews is telling us is that doesn't work because that is not what Christianity is saying. Christianity and following Christ is not saying I'm going to follow him the best I can and do all these religious works so that I can make myself up. I can make up for what I've done wrong. And I will concede to you if that's what Christianity was or if that's what you think it is. or that's the way you're looking at it. Then it is no different than any other religion. You could go be a Muslim. Right. Islam says the five pillars of Islam. You you put your faith in Allah and you pray and you give alms to the poor and you seek purity rituals and you visit Mecca. And if you do those things and you do them over and over and over, then maybe just maybe you'll earn your way to God. Right? We could plug it in right here and say the same thing. The priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. The Muslim gets up and prays five times a day, which can never take away his sins. It's the same thing with Hinduism. There's all these roads and the different things, the way of action and the way of knowledge and the way of devotion and the things that they 
So you, so you learn to meditate and you learn for knowledge and you, you seek after these things and you, you do breathing exercises and you do all this stuff to try to earn your way to the next level. And in each one of those, what we're saying is it's stuff that I do. And if you see Christianity and you miss what Hebrews is saying, then yeah, it's the same thing. But that's not what it says. That's not what it tells us. And that's the way we often miss it. And I just want you to think about this. When, when that's the way you relate to God, that's the way you see God as I'm supposed to do these things over and over and over and over and keep doing it, keep doing it. And hopefully I'll do enough. It's exhausting. And you'll never get there. It's like I have a new puppy and he chases his tail. It's the same thing. And you watch him and he just runs and runs and runs and he gets so frustrated and then he gets up and he tries it again later. It's the same thing. When we're trying to do it ourselves and we're looking for different sacrifices, it's a never ending cycle. And so if you if it's through Bible study or going to church or volunteering or whatever, and so you do that and then you have a bad day and oh no, I gotta go do it again and I gotta do it again and do it again, and you never get anywhere. And you just do it over and over, and not only that, then it begins to spill out in your life. If that's the way you see God, then that's the way you relate to people. Instead of being able to forgive someone, you, you, they need to make atonement for what they've done wrong. You need to earn your worth with me. You said something I don't like, and until you apologize, I'm not going to talk to you. Right? That's, that's what we're doing. Works-based righteousness. The sacrifice principle. Until you make some sacrifices and I okay it, I'm not going to deal with you. And so it spills into all different areas of our lives and we get held hostage of our own emotions and the way we deal with people and looking down at people and making judgments. Right? Remember Jesus said that the full law is to love God and to love man. And he didn't say love man when they make a good apology. Or love them when they do enough that you feel like they've earned their worth before you. That's not what he said. You love your neighbor as yourself. And so when we think about how relevant this is, this is so relevant for all of us. Because even when we put our faith in Christ and we say it's by faith alone, grace alone, and Jesus and nothing else, it's so easy to slip back into this type of thinking. Because it's our sinful nature. And it's there. And so I just want you to see this so clearly when you slip into that type of thinking, what he says in verse four and verse 11 is you can never, ever do it. And that's how we miss it. Instead of it being a reminder of sin, as it says in verses three and four, that puts us and tells us and shows us our need that pushes us to who God is and put our faith in him. We make it all about us and what we do. And it's a never ending cycle. And so we get to the end here of a, what's the bottom line? How how do we get to how the right way to see it is? The wrong way is we make it about us and what we do. Well, what's the right way to see it? I want you to think about the first century Christians for just a second. And then we'll move to more application for us today. But just look at verses 10 to 11 and, and, and put yourself in their place. If you're thinking about going back to doing these sacrifices and temple worship and the blood of bulls and goats and all these things. And then the author of Hebrews says, talking about Jesus's sacrifice in verse 10. And by that, we will be sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Notice how he says it once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. 
waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he was perfected for all time. Those who are being sanctified and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. And in those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law on their hearts and I will write it in their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering of sin. And I want you to think about if you're first century and you're thinking about going back to do all those things. And the author says, they don't do anything. There's no point. And I love the the comparison he makes and the way he says it there. Because he says in verse 11, and the priest stands daily doing this repeatedly over and over and over. And it can never take away your sins. But then he says, but... Christ offered once and for all a single sacrifice. And then it says he sat down. He sat down because he was done. Because it was finished. Because it did away with the priests. It did away with all those sacrifices and all the spilt blood and all those things. And he says it's done. And he sat down because it was completely taken care of. And so what we see is, is the, the way the Old Testament relates to the New Testament is the Old Testament pointed ahead to who Jesus is and that it finds its complete fulfillment in him. And all that was there to point to the gloriousness of what Jesus would do and to then say, well, let's go back to the old stuff that tramples all over the sacrifice of Christ and what he did. I mean, you understand what we're saying when we do that. It, he didn't do enough. I need to add to it. I need to bring some things and help fix the problem myself because he couldn't do all of it is what we're saying. I was trying to think of a good example. And you think of uh, a soldier that goes off to war and and, and maybe you've known friends like this. I have that that they go off and right when they leave, they find out or right after they're gone, they find out their wife's pregnant. And there they are on the other side of the world and they're going to have a child and they've got an 18 month commitment and the baby will come and they get pictures or they get today uh, Skype or videos or whatever. But they get to see their baby from afar, from a different country in the middle of the war. And it's just an image. And then they get to come home and six months later or whenever it is and they get to hold that child and they see them for the first time in the excitement of holding that baby in the flesh and getting to see them and be there with them. And when we talk about going back to sacrifices or trying to add to Christ's finished work, it'd be like taking that baby and laying them down and going, okay, I'm going to go in the other room and just look at my picture. Makes no sense. Why would you do that? They're right there. And so we see all of the fulfillment of all of it coming to Christ and the way that he makes all these things to then say, I'm going to go back and do some other things. It's like we're putting Christ aside and saying, I need to add to that. And so this picture that's there in the first century, those Christians, can you feel that? Is, is the author of Hebrews is pointing to them and saying, don't do that. Don't go back. Well, what about us today? Because we don't have that problem with sacrifices, not animal sacrifices anyway. What about our guilt and our shortcomings and our mistakes and our inadequacies and all the things that weigh on us? And then we start to try to do things. We'll hear what the author says here in verses 19 to 25 for you this morning as you think about that. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great 
priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed from pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who has promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as the day is drawing near. And so you get this picture of when guilt is eating you up or when you're frustrated or I made mistakes and you're tempted to go. And now I've got to do some works and I've got to do these things and I've got to do those things. You look at verse 22 and it says you draw near with the full assurance of faith because you have made clean. You're washed completely clean by the blood of Christ. Don't you dare turn back to what you need to do to fix the problem. You can't do it. And he's already done it. He's done it completely. I love the quote in your bulletin from D.A. Carson. If you read that this morning, that it says, how dare you approach the mercy seat of God on the basis of what kind of day you had. As if that were the basis of your entrance into the presence of a sovereign and holy God. See, when we struggle and we're frustrated and all those things that weigh on us, Hebrews says you go to the cross and you go to what Christ has done for you and nothing else. That's your assurance. That is your salvation. That is why the gospel is the greatest news ever, because it does away with all that other stuff that we try to do and we try to put on us and the things that we try that and we fail and we don't do it well enough. But not only that is it, it results in a fundamental shift in our heart. It frees us to now do those things because we want to do them and because of who Christ is and what he's done for us. Not because I'm trying to earn something and I'm doing it out of fear. Now I'm doing it out of gratitude and out of joy and out of the hope that is to come. And it completely changes you. It changes your outlook. It changes the way that you now can relate to other people. If someone wrongs you and they've really wronged you, you can freely forgive them because you've been freely forgiven. You're not earning your salvation. It was a gift to you. So now you can turn around and give grace as a gift to others. You can love others as Christ has loved you. And then when that happens, it turns us from inwardly focused, self-centered, selfish people to outwardly focused, looking at God and who he is and what he's done in Christ. And then we can love others the same way. And it's a glorious picture of who Christ is and what he's done. And we're freed. And so what we get here in the explanation part as we get into the, the rest of the New Testament is these glorious truths and how they come to bear on our heart and on our lives that Jesus has done it once and for all. And we can rest in that and we can worship in that and we can glory in what he's done for us. Oh, that that would be the way we see it each and every day that we would encourage one another in that. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the beauty of the truth of the gospel. That you remove from us all that we can't do. We thank you for that. We pray that it would make us new each day, that we would encourage one another with that, that we would rest 
and your finished work, seeing you for how marvelously beautiful you are and what you've done for us. We can never thank you enough, and we pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.